Thank you for tuning in to Movie Geeks United. On this episode, we will be revealing the lineup of Blu-rays that have been released throughout the month of June. Just a quick uh, aside here. Uh, Steve Joyner can go straight to hell. So, Adam, (laughs) let's just make our listeners wonder, what the hell is that reference about? What's going on? How, How does this month look? Well, that's funny. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, it's pretty interesting. It's interesting. Um, we've got some good, interesting titles that are uh, that have been released. A lot of them never have seen the light of Blu-ray before. Uh, Paramount, I think we've talked about this before, Paramount's really doing an incredible job of uh, going through their back catalog. They really started this during the pandemic, and they, they really uh, upped their game. Are they, they going yeah, – so many of those, those titles are – for obvious reasons, they're like the the biggest, most obvious hits, whether they be Top Gun or Fatal Attraction or that kind of thing. Are they delving deeper? They are, actually. Uh, interestingly enough, I'll give a couple examples. Um, Breakdown, uh, the Kurt oh, Russell good. film directed Yeah, that's by a great, great, efficient yes. action movie right there. Has never been issued on Blu-ray in North America. Never. Wow. Uh, has not been issued on DVD since 1998 at the beginning of the format – the quality of that transfer, I, I guess I don't need to tell you, is atrocious because it was in the, the format was literally, I think, six months old when they put it out. Has never been reissued, has never been remastered, nothing, a bare-bones disc. Uh, Breakdown is a great suspense film. Yeah. Uh, I don't need to say that for anybody who's seen it, and it's coming out. Paramount has finally, Good. Uh, after all this time, uh, you know, almost 20, well, 24 years later, uh, almost 20. 23, I guess. Yeah, they're finally doing it. So that's the kind of stuff they're doing. Also, Howard Stern's Private Parts mm. is another title that had never been issued on Blu-ray in North America, nor had ever been issued on uh, since, ni- again, 1998, in the early days of the format. So the, there are some titles like that that are just uh, sorely in need of upgrades. Uh, the Two Jakes is another one. Oh, never nice. issued on Blu-ray, yeah. they put that out. Uh, so they've really done... A good job with some of these uh, catalog titles that have really just been kind of lacking. And the trend continues in the month of June uh, with a few. Th- now, some of these are uh, titles that have been issued on DVD with pretty decent transfers, but never on Blu-ray to my knowledge. But we'll go through a couple of these. One of them is Rat Race from 2001. Uh, directed by, I think, Jerry Zucker of Ghost fame. But this is one of those, I think it was the last movie of its type. This is the one um, where they have an all, you know, it's it's a genre unto itself, I guess, where they have an all-star cast of uh, actors, you know, and they're going after the six teams, in this case, are pitted against each other in a race to claim $2 million. We talked about this sort of thing last month with Million Dollar Mystery yeah. with our with our pal Eddie Deason. <laughs> uh, so anyway... Uh, this is another one of those, and probably the last of its type. In fact, Eddie was in two of those. He was in Midnight uh, Madness with J- uh, um, Michael J. Fox. That's another one of those. So, um, But anyway, this one uh, actually has uh, Rowan Atkinson and John Lovitz. Oh, let's see, John Cleese, Whoopi Goldberg, Cuba Gooding Jr., Seth Green. Uh, and as I said, directed by Jerry Zucker. And it, it's fun of its type, I think. But uh, that's the kind of stuff that Paramount's doing. They've also done the Stepford Wives, the one uh, with uh, Nicole Kidman mm. from 2005, and they've done uh, In and Out from 1997. That's another one that's never been issued on Blu-ray in North America. This is the one with Kevin Klein, of course, and uh, Tom Selleck. 
And uh, so, uh, better luck tomorrow, 2003, Flesh and Bone. Uh, Flesh and Bone. I'll get wow, that out. Wow, interesting. 1993. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm just going through a few of these. Alpha Dog from 2006. Uh, so these are some of the Paramount titles that have. Uh, not up to this point been released on Blu-ray in North America, but they're they're doing just a really good job. So I want to give uh, I want to give some props to uh, to Paramount for for uh, the great work they're doing, uh, digging into the vaults. And Eye for an Eye is another one, 1996, and Switchback, 1997. I knew there were oh. two other ones, and those are yeah. uh, huh. So uh, doing some interesting work over at uh, Paramount, and they've got this uh, Paramount Presents line of titles that they're doing uh, where they have special features. Now, most of these titles I just mentioned, they're, they're bare bones, but they are new transfers. Uh, but they do have another line of, uh, called the Paramount Presents Lines, a line. And what that is, it's uh, things, uh, movies that, you know, have relevance and um, have, for some reason uh, or another, uh, people keep returning to them. And this is number 17 in the series, Mommy Dearest. Yeah. has been issued, and this has uh, a, a few new featurettes and um, behind, uh, document, uh, short documentaries and such on this. Uh, I'm trying to get a list of the extras. I did not get my review copy of this. It was requested. Uh, I think they've been having a lot of trouble getting review product out. Uh, in fact, the Indiana Jones 4K release is another Paramount uh, title that we'll get to later. I didn't get that until a week after it had uh, actually been out. So they're having a lot of trouble uh, the uh, the new directorial debut from Christoph Waltz, uh, Georgetown. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that till a month after it came out. So uh, <laughs> so they're having a little a big a bit of a backlog on the review title. So I'll probably get to look at this later. But anyway, I just want to let people know that Paramount presents number seventeen, Mommy Dearest, is out there with a fresh new transfer. And um, so anyway, those are some uh, those are some good some pretty interesting work. From uh, from Paramount, I would say. Yeah, there's some interesting titles in there. Breakdown is better than you know. I remember re- uh, watching that, and I'm sure, like everybody else, not expecting anything and being like, ah, "This is shockingly good." <laughs> oh yeah, it really is. And uh, J.T. Walsh, uh, one of the last films he made before his uh, untimely death at age 54. Yeah. Such a great uh, character actor, and never nastier. Than he was in that film, and so effective. I mean, he's just great. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, and such I did watch. I did watch Flesh and Bone of last year. I think I rewatched uh-huh. it, and that's interesting. That's a really uh, very contemplative and lots of gray skies, and gets it gets pretty sick towards the yeah. end of it. Yeah, it's been so long since I've seen that. I guess I saw it back in '93 when it came out, but I don't think I've. Uh, revisited that since then, so I need to uh, to go back and take a look at that again. Um, Want to get into uh, the Little Rascals, uh, which you know we talk about things that have been canceled, and f- fortunately these are still in circulation. I don't know for how long, but there's a company called the uh, Classic Flicks, and I want to give them props because they have really done some terrific work. Uh, they um, they did a, a Kickstarter campaign uh, to restore these shorts. And these shorts have been, you know, in various uh, um, stages of um, some of them look better than others, shall we say. But they've gone back and um, I think uh, it's 11 shorts on their first collection that they've restored. A small Talk, Railroading, Lazy Days, Boxing Gloves, Bouncing Babies, Moan and Groan Incorporated, Shivering Shakespeare, The First Seven Years, When the Wind Blows, Bear Shooters, and A Tough 
winter, all from 1929 to 1930, and these are uh, in a new set that's really quite phenomenal in terms of uh, the way they, the, uh, the the look of these films and just it's uh, it's pretty amazing what they've done mm. with these uh, these shorts. And so there's a second volume that's on the way. Uh, I just love going back and watching these if for nothing else for the because um, most of these were shot over in Culver City. And you and I have been to Los Angeles and the area multiple times, and it's so fascinating, a snapshot in, shot in time to go back and look at uh, the locations, to know where, where the locate to have been to the locations where these were filmed, and then to look at them uh, all those years ago, almost 100 years now, mm. and to see how uh, things have changed. I, I love watching these for that, and a lot of them are still funny. The humor holds up for me. I don't know. Um, I, I do enjoy them. So anyway, the Little Rascals classic, uh, the classic flicks restorations, volume one is out there with a volume two quick to follow. Smoking the Smokey and the Bandit has been issued in 4K, so it's finally making its way to ultra high definition. And I think it's uh, the the rest of the extras that were previously issued have been ported over on a separate Blu-ray, including the the documentary The Bandit that came out. Well, uh, I think that was like 2015 or 16, something like that. That was yeah. a Really well done documentary, I thought. Uh, I liked it. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, and that was about Reynolds' association with the director, right? With um, right uh, Hal uh, Al Needham, yeah. yeah. Yes. So uh, anyway, uh, there was a 40th anniversary uh, release of Smokey and the Bandit on Blu-ray a couple of years ago that had the Bandit on it. I picked that one up. I did not get a review copy of the 4K, but the, uh, even if you have Smokey and the Bandit previously, uh, I would recommend. Um, Picking this up for for no other reason than uh, you know just to to get to get a good copy of the Bandit because it's a really it's about an eighty minute documentary that's, that tells you everything you need to know all the nuts and bolts about the production of um, Smokey and the Bandit. So anyway, uh, we have But I'm a Cheerleader from nineteen ninety nine, directed by Jamie Babbitt. This is uh, with Natasha Leone and. Uh, RuPaul, Kathy Moriarty, and Bud Court, Michelle Williams. This is the one about a 17-year-old cheerleader who's uh, seems like she's got it all, but uh, she hates kissing her boyfriend and leads her <coughs> horrified parents to conclude she's a lesbian. Yes, um, so I guess this film was ahead of its curve. But anyway, I never did see this. It's being issued by in Lionsgate by Lionsgate now in a what's billed as a director's cut, mm. and I'm not sure how much footage has been. Uh, reinstated into this as I did not get a review copy of this one as well but anyway uh, But I'm a Cheerleader has been issued by Lionsgate uh, got another Paramount uh, title here this is a double feature of the two Lara Croft films from 2001 and 2003 starring Angelina Jolie uh, Tomb Raider of course and uh, Tomb Raider the Cradle of, Ri- of Life um, I must say I skipped those back in the day not my Thing. Uh, I typically don't do too many films that are based on video games, and uh, not much has changed in the years since they came out. But I know they have a loyal following, but I can't attest to uh, the quality of the transfers. Um, nevertheless, anyway, moving along, Disney has issued a couple more uh, Blu-ray releases. Uh, Herbie Fully Loaded from 2005. This is the one um, that had Lindsay Lohan in it, where they tried to reboot the Herbie series. And, and Michael and, uh, Keaton, right? Uh, yes, Michael Keaton, that's correct. And The Kid with uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis from 2000. Oh, good Lord. 
Yeah. The kid. I haven't. Uh, see, I always associate it with uh, Charlie Chaplin, but uh, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Disney's <coughs> the kid. That's how it was built. Yeah. Uh, and if that doesn't get your attention, how about uh, Disney's The Pacifier starring Vin Diesel? That's also being issued. <laughs> yeah, that does not that does not pacify me. Uh, man, you know Bruce Willis. Uh, he he just don't give a shit. <laughs> Any any more? I mean, I'm sure there was a time when he did, but man, he is the he's doing like six or I don't know how many 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 movies every year. I mean, he's just essentially selling his name. That's what yeah. he's doing. It's it's yeah. it's almost akin to buying buying billboards or having somebody put you on a billboard and collecting the profits from it or something. Uh, yeah, I agree. I uh, I still. I still to this day I know I've repeated this multiple times on the show, but I'll do it again. It was when they had the um the the, the Golden Globes, I guess it was a couple of years ago and <laughs> Yeah, that was uh with uh, oh what's his name? Uh, the comedian that uh, Ricky Gervais, that's it. Yeah, when he was hosting and he said uh, he introduced him and he said, uh, you know him from such films as Mercury Rising, Disney's the kid and he <laughs> He named all the worst films in his career. Uh, I think he said The Color of Night. He, uh, welcome, Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was great. Ashton yeah. Kutcher's dad or something. Or, yeah, something yeah. like that. It was hilarious. And he came up on stage, and he was not happy. You could see the the, the look of dis- anger in his face was very palpable. Uh, anyway. Well, well, well. So the 1976 uh, Western Track Down has been issued by Kino. Uh, that stars James Mitchum and Ann Archer and uh, Eric Estrada and Kathy Lee Crosby. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How about that? If ever I interview Ann Archer, that would be my first question. Well, what was it like uh, working with Kathy Lee Crosby? <laughs> She's in Breakdown, is she not? Kathy Lee Crosby? I know, uh, Ann Archer. We were talking oh, about no, no, Breakdown. no. The Kathleen Quinlan is the... Um... Oh, Kathleen Quinlan, that's it. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kathy Lee Crosby. Now, that's incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah, that's good. That's incredible throwback there. Good for you. Her and John Davidson, right? Yeah, and Fran Tarkenton, the late... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. John, da- John Davidson's still at it. He was just interviewed on some podcast. Uh, Gil- Gilbert's, uh, right? Uh, had him on, yeah, recently. It was good. Yeah, I saw her recently in a documentary. It's an older documentary on uh, the life and times of Dar Robinson, the famous stuntman who uh, was uh, – it's up there on YouTube. It's the world's greatest stuntman or something like that, and uh, it was about uh, – you know, he set all these records for stunts. He did the, he did the free fall in uh, the movie um, uh, Stick – that Burt uh, Reynolds, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the guy that falls out of the window, and they had the camera on him the entire time, and he does all the stunts in Sharky's Machine, and he took a 700-foot fall and some other movie. I can't remember what it was, but anyway, he never broke a bone or anything, and this is a callback to Million Dollar Mystery again. While they were filming Million Dollar Mystery, they had actually done all their stunts for the day, and he was just playing around on his motorcycle at the end of the, end of the day. The paramedics had gone home and all of that, and uh, he got on his motorcycle, and there was a line in the dirt. They were filming out in Arizona. It was a line in the dirt, and he was not supposed to cross that line without putting on his brakes first, and he failed to put on his brakes, and he went right over the cliff and was killed. Uh, he fell to his death, and uh, he, you know, Burt Reynolds was a huge 
they were really, really close. It was really, I, I think he had a really tough time dealing with that because he did the stunts in all of Burt's films uh, up until that point. He did the, he's a, uh, Lethal Weapon is actually dedicated to him. There's a card at the end of the movie that's dedicated to him, his memory. Because um, wow. he did, he did the, all the, you know, the scene where the guy, the suicidal guy is uh, trying to jump off the top of the building in Lethal Weapon. That's him doing that uh, sort of thing. So anyway, he's, um, so anyway, she was in this because he used to turn up on That's Incredible doing these stunts as well. And uh, I think they were pretty close as well. I don't know if they had a romantic relationship, but she was talking about how much she missed him. So, yeah. So mm. anyway, uh, I'm digressing. Okay. Thanks for bringing us down, Adam. I know. Leave it up to me. Leave it up to me. But, yeah. You know, it's funny. Million Dollar Mystery, you know, there's three people that worked on that film. It was their final film. It was Richard Fleischer, the director and Jack Cardiff, the uh, cinematographer, and Dar Robinson, all three of wow. them. That was the last film that all three of them made. So, uh, anyway, that's that's worth mentioning. And I'll shut up about Million, Million Dollar Mystery, which I, I finally did get a review copy of it belatedly after we did the last show. And it, uh, I'm telling you, if you're a fan of this movie, it's uh, the transfer looks great. Um, it has its moments. It's not the, the worst thing in the world. I, I chuckled here and there. So anyway, um, the only starring film for Benny Hill, you know, he's mostly known as a television comedian, of course, uh, but he did make a film in 1956, Who Done It? And this has been issued by Kino Lorber. Uh, They put out the only Benny Hill feature film that was ever made. uh, And they've also released uh, The Green Man, starring Alistair Sim and uh, George Cole and Terry Thomas. Um, Mill Creek has issued Safe House, or maybe reissued it, with Denzel, Wa- Denzel Washington and Ryan Reynolds from 2012. And um, so there are a few things. And uh, moving right along to June 8th, we're up to that already. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. I teased about it. The Indiana Jones 4 movie collection. All the Indiana Jones films have been issued in 4K. And they look great. Uh, they really do. Uh, the the uh, the improvements in picture is pretty pretty substantial. And uh, if you're a fan of the Indiana Jones films, which I mean, really, who who of us aren't? Maybe maybe that last one was a little bit uh, lukewarm on it, but uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, this is a, a really a really impressive uh, set in terms of the transfers. Uh, the packaging is a little flimsy on this. Uh, I, I think. I had a little problem with that. Uh, it's it's not much. Um, they could do better with the packaging. Let's just say that. But other than, in terms of the actual quality of the pictures, uh, the picture, the audio and uh, video, I should say, uh, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, not really any substantial new extras here. Uh, just most of the uh, extras from the previous editions have been carried over. And I will mention to people, if you have the old DVD edition that was released in the early 2000s, you might want to hold on to it because there are some things there uh, that have not been carried over to this one. Um, so there are a few things that are missing. Uh, not a whole lot, but a few things. And there are also a few things from the Indiana Jones and the Crystal Kingdom of the Crystal Skull Blu-ray special edition that didn't make it on to this one either. So um, anyway... I uh, just wanted to to mention that to uh, to people. A trio of uh, John Hughes films that were re- released as part of the John Hughes collection earlier by Paramount have now been issued separately. There's a Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a 35th anniversary edition, some kind of wonderful uh, has been issued separately on Blu-ray, as has uh, Pretty in Pink uh, with its 35-year thir- anniversary. So um, there you go, a uh, trio of the John Hughes films that we all 
No, about uh, a 1991 film uh, from Hong Kong called Center Stage. It's a biopic of um, the uh, oh, I'm trying to the, the actress. Uh, this is, she was a silent screen star. Sorry, Ruan Lingwu, who committed suicide at age 24, and um, I think this is pretty well reviewed when it came out. It's uh, directed by Stanley Kwan. But uh, anyway, um, this has been issued by Film Movement in a new Blu-ray edition with uh, new interviews with the director and a new introduction by Stanley Kwan and a 16-page booklet. So center stage uh, about the life and times of the silent screen star Ruan Lingwu uh, and her tragic life has been issued. Uh, there was a crooked man which is from 1970, and that's uh, one of the, uh, I think it's the second to last film of um, Joseph L. Mankiewicz, who, of course, made All About Eve and many other many other great films. <clears throat> anyway, uh, this has been issued by the good folks at Warner Archive with a vintage featurette on location. There was a crooked man in a theatrical trailer, and um, it's basically uh, a western with Kirk Douglas and Henry Fonda, Hume Cronin, Warren Oates, and Burgess Meredith. And um, it's uh, it's about a uh, a schemer, a charmer, and a quite popular man among his fellow convicts with five hundred thousand dollars in stolen loot hidden away and a plan to escape. And uh, Kirk Douglas in the lead there. So anyway, uh, there was a crooked man from nineteen seventy from Warner Archive. Just wanted to mention that one. And let's see, moving along, The Stylist from 2021 is an, it's a new film. Um, it's being issued by Arrow, but I wanted to mention this one because it's a really interesting horror film. It's probably, uh, I have really forgotten how much I miss films that are stylized, the stylishness of a, of a director with a good, with a good eye for filmmaking, and so much of that has gone by the wayside. And this film is a very stylishly made horror film about this hairstylist who is obsessed with her customers and stalks them and basically scalps them. And she has a collection of uh, scalps from her customers. <laughs> I know it sounds like Maniac, but it's more tastefully done than Maniac. But uh, you know, it's not a perfect film, but it's so. It's they use a lot. She uses uh, this director. I, I can't. Re- uh, I'm not bringing her name up right now, uh, but she does a lot of uh, split screen stuff, like Brian De Palma used to do. And there's just a really good. Uh, I, I love the way she's uh, mounted this film. So anyway, uh, The Stylist from uh, this year is a, is a pretty interesting horror film that if you haven't gotten a chance to see it, it, uh, it might be worth your time. So anyway, I also wanted to mention uh, this wonderful documentary from uh, a couple of years back, MVD Visual, has re- has issued this on Blu-ray, Who is Harry Nilsson and Why is Everybody Talking About Him, which is a terrific documentary about the life and times of the singer-songwriter Harry Nilsson, who uh, you know had... Um, Lots of success in the early 70s. Had a big number one record with uh, Without You, I Can't Live, Living is Without You. And he had a top ten hit with the song from uh, Midnight Cowboy, Everybody's Talking. And, um, you know, the Put the Lime in the Coconut. Coconut was another big hit of his. He was close friends with the Beatles, and they all held him in high esteem. And then he uh, basically fell into the clutches of alcoholism and died at the age of 53 of a massive heart attack. And uh, I think his last credit as a singer was he sang the end of the 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 song over the closing credits in the uh, the Fisher King, mm. and uh, it's a it's a sad 
film, actually, in a lot of ways. But it's a, it's a, a really, if you love good music documentaries, I, I highly recommend this one. Uh, who is Harry Nilsson and why is everybody talking about him? Yeah, uh, it's a good movie. Yeah, it is. And he, his song also plays, I mean, it's the primary driving force for a little bit in the one of the greatest sequences ever in the history of movies. And that is... <laughs> Oh yeah, that's um, jumping to the fire uh, from Goodfellas, maybe. Yep, yep. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, that is fantastic. <laughs> that baseline in uh, in jumping to the fire is just, it gets me every time. It's actually what sets that whole sequence off, right? I mean, oh, that's yes. that's the very beginning of the sequence. It drives it. Yeah. Yeah. That. I'm not even going to try to repeat it, but it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's an interesting guy, and uh, I, I really like that movie a lot. And I think my favorite music—he's also responsible for my one of my favorite music cues in all that jazz. It's it's his version of "Perfect, perfect Day", day. Yes. when Roy Scheider opens the door and the ladies in the doorway in silhouette, and the "Perfect Day's Play." And, oh, oh it's yeah, such a great wonderful. great moment. Oh, you know, yeah. In terms of modern music cues, well, modern, all that jazz is 1979, but <laughs> I, 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 think, I think of that music cue and I think about a change is going to come in Malcolm X. Oh, God, yes. You know. Yes. yes. So, so, so totally agree. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, I love that. You're exactly right. That's a, that's a very good call. Yeah, he, uh, he's, he was an interesting guy. It's a beautiful song, too. I mean, the, the quality of his voice. Uh, the, his voice in that in that song is very kind of sounds weird to say, but very kind of Karen Carpenter in that there's it's so smooth it's smooth as glass there's almost there's almost no reverb in it, uh, and it's a, st- a style of singing that he adopted just for that song because it doesn't sound like the way he sings most songs, but uh, yeah it's beautiful rendition of that song. And a totally different song, Perfect Day. I also like Lou Reed's Perfect Day, even though they're two different songs altogether. Yes, but. from Train Spotting, it was wonderfully used. Yeah, yeah. yeah. T- totally agree. Yeah, that. Um, yeah, and two other things that's worth mentioning about Harry, Harry Nielsen while we're on that subject is the fact that he was, I think, the first artist to ever do an album of standards, mm. which he did in 1974 against his uh, management's uh, wishes. They told him, they said, this is career suicide. You don't want to do you know, all this stuff. And, and now that's become a, a thing. You know, we, Rod Stewart made a, a almost a late uh, entry in his career by doing well, a bunch of those. Uh, I don't know. What, yeah, it was 78 that uh, Willie Nelson did his album of standards with Stardust. Yeah, that was after. And his, his management told him the same thing. You don't yeah. want to do that. You just did like Redheaded Stranger or whatever. You're on a you're on a high here. Don't do an album of standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's uh, and again masterpiece of an album as is the. Uh, I think it's Little Touch of Schmilson in the Night. I think is the is the name of the album. Yeah. But it's it's really it's really good and also worth mentioning the fact that he wrote the song that opens the film Magnolia One. Which was covered by Three mm-hmm. Dog Night, and then Amy Mann in the film Mag- uh, Magnolia. He's that's one of his earliest writing credits as a writer. So, so also worth mentioning, and the music for Popeye. <laughs> he yep. needs me. He needs me. <laughs> yep. So, anyway, 
So there you go. Enough about Harry Nielsen. Uh, you should uh, seek that out if you get a chance. Uh, La Magnifique from 1973. This is two films starring Jean-Paul Belmondo and La Magnifique and Cartouche from 1962. Those are both being issued by Kino. And then we have from Sony – like father, like son, with Kurt Cameron and Dudley Moore. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's about all you can say about that. I know they need to put they need to put those all in one DVD. Yeah, <laughs> all those all those body switching things. Eighteen again with George Burns and uh, I'm trying to think what the uh, there seems there was another one I'm try, I'm drawing a blank on it. But there yeah, was, there's one Matthew Perry did a few years ago with Zac Efron. Yep. Which actually, that I, I actually enjoyed that one. Uh, yeah, like Father Like Son, 18 Again. Uh, God. There were, some, there were some more. I just can't remember what they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were on a roll with those for a while. Freaky Friday, I guess, was the first of those, the 77 version, I think. I can't think of anything before that that had that concept. I saw that in a theater, actually. Uh, and in quite enjoyed it when I was a kid, but don't know if I would feel the same now. But uh, yeah. So what about uh, you know uh, James Franco? His career has kind of been a f- free fall here with all kinds of accusations being bandied bandied about, uh, you know, sexual misconduct, all that stuff. But his latest directorial effort, maybe his final, I don't know, uh, Zeroville, which is uh, takes place in Hollywood of 1969. It's about, uh, it says, uh, the studio system is in decay and a new generation of brash filmmakers are on the rise. And uh, his character is a bizarre presence even amid the freaks and dreamers he finds work first building sets, then as an apprentice editor obsessed with wielding the power of moving images. Megan Fox plays his love interest in the film. And uh, so um, it sounds interesting. I haven't gotten around to uh, looking at it yet, but um, it didn't get very good reviews so i'm not sure but that subject matter you know hollywood 1969 just the description of it alone kind of had me uh, i said well okay i think i might have to at least check it out so yeah. zero deal has been issued. i did watch this movie sal about sal Minio. oh yeah well how was that uh, how was that yeah, it's okay it was okay the hollywood movie that i'm looking forward to is that new damien Gis- giselle movie that they're filming next week Oh yeah, yeah. The 1920s when it when when sound was introduced into movies and um, oh yeah, that's a great Brad, topic. Brad yeah. Pitt and Margot Robbie and Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. and just a ton of like, really interesting people in that. Yeah, that uh, that should be interesting for sure. Yeah, I'll. Uh, yep, there still are a few things to get excited about here and there. <laughs> When it comes to new movies, we uh, can't you can't count them out completely. Yeah. I see the new Clint Eastwood is being issued in September. They moved the release date up, so got that uh, coming right around the corner. Cry Macho. Yeah. Yeah, he's. Yeah, I mean, I feel very divided on Eastwood, but um, but I'll still watch it definitely. But uh, um, you know, yeah. I'm even excited about Tarantino's book. And the trailer for Tarantino's book, did you see it? No, I didn't. Because it, it, it contains lots of shots and clips that were cut from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So mm. mo- most of it's brand new footage. 
Interesting. Which, which you know, kind of indicates the promise of a longer cut appearing sometime soon, which I'd be excited by. Oh yeah, he's teased about that already, so I I could definitely uh, I could definitely see that happening. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, he's yeah. on Bill Maher promoting the book this weekend. I saw him on there. He was yeah. talking about his um, – Bill Maher was commending him for not uh, not kowtowing when he, people call him out for violence or whatever it is he's doing in his movies. And he says, you never really you never really apologize. You always say, well, I don't agree with your assessment. That's yeah. always your standard line. And he said, I applaud you for that. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. There was somebody that posted – because he let it loose in that interview that he actually considered doing a remake of Reservoir Dogs, but not <coughs> – I doubt very seriously he considered it, but quickly yeah. dismissed it. So I guess one of the websites were, were saying, Quentin Tarantino plans to remake one of his films, you know, clickbait, even though – Oh, yes. And, and somebody commented below it that says, does anybody care? If anybody cares, please comment. And I was like, well, you just did. <laughs> Why do I need to comment? You already commented. People just so dismissive. <laughs> like, who cares if he makes another movie? Well, apparently some people care because his movies have been financial successes. Like, nope. <laughs> it isn't that nobody's going to see them. Right. Exactly. Good point. Oh, yeah. People, people, people. What are we going to do? Well, Criterion has issued... Uh, Y2 Mama Tambion from 2001. E2 Mama Tambion? Yeah. <laughs> I always get that one wrong. Sorry. Uh, well, anyway, it's been – I don't know if this has been previously issued or it's being reissued, <coughs> re- but, uh, yeah, it's uh, – it's it's they're, they're putting it out there again. And I'm thinking maybe this is just a reissue, but anyway. Um, so, anyway, Devil Dog, The Hound of Hell, a 1978 <laughs> television film. Finally. It's about yeah. time. Uh, this is actually directed by uh, Curtis Harrington, who made quite a few movies mm. in his career, and I um, I fondly re- remember seeing this when it aired on CBS Television in 1978. I I, I was there on uh, the uh, premiere night. Uh, I've re- rewatched it in the years since, and I can't say it's really the best best thing you'll ever see for sure. But it has its uh, goofy 70s charms, and of course, it has. Uh, the late great Lou Frizzell in a supporting role, mm. along with uh, Richard Crenna and uh, those kids from uh, the the uh, the Witch Mountain films, uh, Kim Richards, and I can't think of the other kid's name, but uh, you know who I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Uh, Yvette Mimeo is in this, uh, and um, R.G. Armstrong. So uh, anyway, Devil Dog the Hound of Hell is being issued by Media Blasters. And it's being billed as uh, a special purebred edition. <laughs> so. I think of this movie anytime I'm in a supermarket. And I <laughs> I pass that aisle. And by the way, next time you're at Pink's, make sure you order the Devil Dog. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, do it in honor of uh, Richard Crenna, if nothing else. Yeah, who has the lead in this. I just remember the dog, uh, you know, it's a possessed dog, obviously. And I remember a scene where he's... He's repairing his lawnmower, and the dog is trying to uh, – he, he's, I guess, uh, trying to telekinetically get Richard Crenna to stick his hand in the, the blade that's turning. <laughs> and, uh, that's, you know, and like I said, it has its goofy charms, and it was a made-for-television film. But if you if you lived dur- through those days as yeah. as I did, it, 
I don't know. It's kind of comfort food. Anyway, investigation of a citizen above suspicion has been reissued on. Oh, beautiful movie. Yeah. Agreed. It's been out before, but I think it went out of print, but they put that back out. uh, Criterion has. Good. uh, Yeah, so it's out there again. Great movie. Great Morricone score. I highly recommend that movie. Oh, yeah. Pretty amazing. Yep, totally, totally agree. So anyway, we're moving along to uh, June 15th. Uh, we're, we're getting along at a pretty good pace here. We have, um, oh, Godzilla vs. Kong has been issued in uh, two different uh, 4K sets. Uh, there's a Best Buy exclusive and then the regular one. And then you have the, uh, there's two different Blu-ray editions out here. I'm not sure what the difference is in all of them. But anyway, uh, regardless, um I'm not a fan of this film. I feel like it's uh, the only King Kong film that actually bored me to tears. And I, I thought it was pretty much a, a real chore to get through. Uh, it's hard to, I think, uh, take a, a giant monster movie and just make it boring. But this is uh, this is really the worst in that Warner Brothers uh, Legendary Pictures uh, monster universe. Out of all those films, This is it's borderline unwatchable, I think. But anyway, I know. I think uh, so, too. I'm on yeah, your side. I'm glad you feel the same way. So, anyway. And I actually didn't watch it in public, so I did fall asleep. <laughs> I, well, I saw it at home. Okay. Uh, I, I did too. So I saw it on the HBO Max uh, opening night. But man, boy, uh, I was so excited for that movie too. My, my uh, expectations were running so high and it just uh, – they fell so quickly. But anyway, Sony has uh, – you know they've been doing a pretty good job with their 4K releases, and so here are three new ones from them, or actually four: uh, Sicario from 2015, uh, The Last Action Hero, In the Line of Fire, and Gattaca. All of those, three of those from the 90s, of course, and then the 2015 Sicario. So all of those uh, 4K releases from uh, Sony Pictures, and then we have. Uh, the uh, a film from the director uh, John Sturges, who later went on to do The Great Escape and, of course, uh, Magnificent Seven. Uh, this is the uh, the 1959 film, The Last Train from Gun Hill, starring Kirk Douglas and Anthony Quinn. And um, it's basically uh, Kirk Douglas on the trail of his wife's killer, that kind of thing, uh, with Anthony Quinn playing the part of the the killer. Uh, this is a new uh, – they're billing it as a 6K film transfer of the original Beast Division negative. What? A 6K? 6K, yes, film transfer. Now, the disc is not 6K, but the transfer is, uh, and it's a Blu-ray. Um, <laughs> but anyway, there's a new feature out here with Leonard Malton where he uh, talks a little bit about the production of the film. And uh, there's an original theatrical trailer, so uh, this is another in the – Paramount Presents series of uh, titles. This is number 18, Last Train from Gun Hill. So just to mention that. And then we have uh, the 19 – I think this was uh, the a, doc, a nominee for Best Documentary Film from 1984, Streetwise, directed by Martin Bell. Now, like I said, an Oscar-winning uh, uh, documentary feature it's about the stories of homeless and runaway mm. teenagers living on the margins in seattle and this has been uh, issued by criterion and the uh, follow-up film tiny the life of aaron blackwell which i think is uh, aaron blackwell is one of the characters featured in the original film in 2016 they went back and called wow. 
with her. Huh. Yeah, this is uh, both of these films have been issued uh, together in this new set. Uh, we have a new commentary by the director, new interviews with um, the director about the photographer Mary Ellen Mark, who did some of the photos in the film that are featured in the film. New interview with the editor, uh, four short films by the director, trailers. Uh, new high definition digital restoration. So um, anyway, uh, you know the um, there was also one of the people covered in the Seven Up series for a time. For a time, he was homeless. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, and it, I remember talking to Apted about how difficult it was to track him down. But his was the most dramatic, kind of profound transformation, the, the ins and outs of his life. But uh, you know, it, with Apted dead now, I wonder what's going to happen with that series. It would be nice if any, if for nothing else, for them to go back to those subjects and try to do, you know, like an over an overview of the process and and actually have Michael Apted be a part of that. Have them talk about what it was like to work with Michael Apted throughout their lives and. You know, it'd be nice to have one final summing up of that whole series. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. I agree. There was some talk. I know uh, he was on uh, the Terry Gross uh, NPR uh, show. Uh, you know, Fresh Air, and he was talking about what she asked him. You know, pretty bluntly about yeah. what would happen if he passed away, and he said that uh, there had been you know talk about somebody carrying it on, but he wasn't sure. You know, at that yeah, point, I, so. I didn't ask that question because I, you know. I didn't want to, yeah. If you, when you die, I yeah, what happens? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be, it's going to be real curious to see what happens when it comes time for another one of those films. Did you, uh, did you get around to seeing the last one? I did not. I have it, but I just haven't gotten around to the one that was issued right before, about a year before he passed or something. I don't, uh, I don't think I did. Oh, I, I don't remember. I guess I definitely saw the one before that because that's when I interviewed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There was another one that was, I think, 2019. I want to say, uh, or maybe it was 2018. It was either 2018 or 2019. But uh, mm. anyway, there was one that was just a, a year or two before he passed. Uh, that's when I think he was on Fresh Air, and she was asking him about the the inevitable question. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be interesting. I, I, I need to get that out and watch that. I need to catch the last installment because, I, like I said, it's been sitting around here, I, uh, and I just never never got to it. As Terry Gross is strange. There's, a, there's some interviews I, I love by her, and then she'll interview Annette Bening, and, and uh, I remember she interviewed her for that 20, 20th Century Women or whatever that movie was. Mm-hmm. That she did with Mark Mills, or, and it was the worst interview I've ever heard. One of them. Really? <laughs> yes. It's like she asked every standard fill-in-the-blank question there was. Well, what's it like being married to Warren Beatty and he's a notorious womanizer? What's it like <laughs> aging in Hollywood? Do you want her to? And I was like, this is shockingly bad. <laughs> you know, because yeah. usually she tries to go a little bit deeper, but... Yeah, maybe she was having a bad day. <laughs> trying to get through it you never know yeah i i I didn't uh yeah she's sometimes she's really on the mark and you're right she has there have been a few over the years that i've heard and it's like well not sure i would have went that direction but you know uh what you gonna do yeah 
So Shout Factory has issued a couple of uh, – Shout and Scream Factory, I guess you would say, has issued a couple of uh, films from the early 80s, one of which is The Awakening. Uh, this is Charlton Heston as an archaeologist who uh, uh, has um, – this archaeologist has somehow awakened an evil spirit, uh, kind of like uh, it's a riff on the the uh, – the curse of King Tut's tomb, something like that. But anyway, uh, so we have that one, and then we have from 1981 Sphinx, which starred uh, Leslie Ann Down. And that was based on a Robin Cook bestseller. Yeah, Leslie Ann Down is a, a determined young anthropologist who comes across a clue leading to a long forgotten royal tomb in this film from 1981. Uh, actually, I think. One of the final films from directed by Franklin J. Schaffner, who made Patton and uh, Planet of the Apes. Uh, I don't think it was his last film, but it was one of the one of his final films. And uh, and I remember the reviews were pretty bad for this one. But like I said, based on a Robin Cook bestseller, Robin Cook, of course, uh, had previously authored Coma, which was made into the film by Michael Crichton. So Anyway, we have uh, Sphinx and the Awakening from Scream Factory or Shout Factory. Not sure which, but it's the same company, basically. The Ziegfeld Follies from 1945, which is basically a who's who of stars. It was a musical review that was um, released in theaters by MGM. Uh, some of the stars included were Lucille Ball and um, uh, Fred Astaire, Fanny Bryce, Judy Garland, um, you know, you, you, Lena Horne. You kind of get the... Uh, get the idea, Red Skelton. So anyway, this has been issued by Warner Archive, the Ziegfeld Follies, and um, I don't, I'm not sure if there, I think there are a few extras on this one, but uh, I didn't get a review copy of this one, so I can't say, can't say for sure. But uh, anyway, uh, another Warner Archive release is the 1968 Charles Bronson film. Again, here's Anthony Quinn yet again. Charles Bronson and Anthony Quinn and Guns for San Sebastian. This is directed by Henri Vernuel, I think that's how you pronounce it, and uh, it's, uh, it's, as I said, it's a Western. Uh, Anthony Quinn's a rebel on the run from the Mexican army, and um, he escapes to the remote village of San Sebastian, San Sebastian, where the locals believe he's a holy man. Uh, so anyway, and then you have uh, Bronson is the antagonist in the film who has his own secret that uh, Quinn knows about. So anyway, uh, Guns for San Sebastian, the the only extra on this one is a vintage featurette and a theatrical trailer. Um, So that's a Warner Archive release. Uh, Take This Job and Shove It from 1981, based on the famous country song by Johnny Paycheck of the late 70s. This one stars uh, Robert Hayes and Barbara Hershey and Eddie Albert and... uh, Oh, I think David Keith is in there. I, I did see this one, got a review copy of it, had never seen it before, and it uh, starts out well, but it doesn't quite uh, make it to the finish line before it falls apart. But uh, uh, the premise is basically that Robert Hayes is uh, – he has to go back to his hometown. He's a corporate guy, works for the beer co- the beer company, the corporate parent of the local beer company, and he comes back to uh, get the productivity back on track at his local brewery in the town where he grew up, and his his old buddies uh, don't appreciate him coming down there and uh, throwing his weight around and that sort of thing. And uh, it's interesting in that it, Charlie Rich, the famous country singer Charlie Rich, who did Behind Closed Doors, mm-hmm. and 
and the most beautiful girl. He actually acts in the film. He's he's an actor in the film. He plays wow. the guy who uh, who buys the uh, he's a big uh, rich guy who buys the uh, the owns the brewery basically. So it's interesting to see Charlie Rich acting in a film which you didn't get to see too often. And um, also David Allen Coe I think is in the film too. Uh, so anyway, take this job and shove it. It's kind of a mixed bag, uh, not not a great film, but uh, interesting, I guess, in its own way. Uh, and One Potato, Two Potato has been issued by Kino. Uh, this was a pretty controversial film directed by Larry Pierce, who would later go on to make um, Wired. Uh, uh, yeah, the uh, Wired, yes, and the other side of the mountain parts one and two, and my one of my favorites, The Incident from 1967, about a, a subway car being terrorized by hoodlums portrayed by Tony Lobianco and uh, Martin Sheen in the film. It's a great suspense film. Anyway, One Potato, Two Potatoes stars actually uh, James Earl Jones' dad in this film. <laughs> he plays the uh, the father of a uh, gentleman in the film, uh, and it's um, basically uh, the main character in the film, and he's, he's, a, he's a black black man and his white girlfriend. They're trying to um, – she's trying to get custody of her uh, – of her child, she's recently divorced, and she's—it's an interracial couple, and the court will not give her custody of her child because of the fact, simply, that they're a a, a mixed race couple. And it's pretty—the final scene in the film is really powerful. Uh, it's um, you know, it's kind of a product of its time. It's not as good as I'd hoped it would be, but boy, the final scene in the film is pretty, pretty, pretty potent indeed. So anyway, one potato, two potato, uh, is um. I think it's Barbara Barry plays the female lead in the film. So anyway, uh, the, again, 1964, that's uh, from Kino releasing. And then we get to June 22nd. We have uh, Bob Odenkirk uh, making his debut as an action, uh, in an action film, Nobody, of course, from earlier this spring. It's being issued on 4K from the writer of John Wick. I still haven't gotten a chance to, to check that one out. Um you know, I hear some good things. Who knows? Um, Career Opportunities is being issued by Kino. I think this was the last screenplay credit maybe for uh, – or one of the – one of, not the last, but one of the final screenplay credits of uh, John Hughes and, uh, of course, Jennifer Connelly starring in this one. Uh, I never uh, never did get around to seeing this. I remember when it came out and the reviews were not really kind to it. Frank Whaley, yeah, that's the other person yeah. who's in it. Uh, yeah, he finds himself locked inside the local department store with uh, the daughter of the town's wealthiest citizen. So I think that was John Hughes kind of slumming it a little bit uh, there, <laughs> maybe. Anyway, but for fans, uh, you know, people who were 80, uh, 90s nostalgists, uh, there you go, Career Opportunities, Half Baked, starring Dave Chappelle from 1998. That's also being issued... I think that's a Kino release. Yes, it is. Also, uh, stoner comedy, obviously. When Chappelle was finally getting uh, noticed on his own merits, Strike Commando and Strike Commando Two are two Italian uh, rip-offs of the Rambo series, <laughs> and uh, they're both of them. Uh, I think uh, one of them is directed. The first one is directed by Vincent Dawn, and the second one is. Uh, yeah, both of them are directed by Vincent Dawn, actually. And, uh, you know, it's uh, they call it a Nam exploitation masterpiece. 
the character's name is Mike Ransom, a one-man war machine on a screaming for vengeance mission against the brutal Viet Cong, the merciless Russians, double-crossing U.S. officers, and acres of bullet-blasted Philippines jungle. Well, anyway, uh, the first one has uh, a couple of featurettes. War Machine, interview with the screenwriter and All Quiet on the Philippine Front, an interview with the co-writer and an in-production promo. And then the second film has uh, another uh, two other special features, Gorilla Zone, an interview with the screenwriter and an uh, interview with the actor Brent Huff. So um, anyway, Strike Commando 1 and 2 being issued separately by Severin Films for uh, people who want to go back and – uh, relived the 80s uh, when everybody was trying to get a piece of the Rambo pie. There you go. Kino has also issued uh, Fool for Love, 1985, one of Robert Altman's films during that period when he was having a lot of trouble getting financing. This is, uh, of course, Sam Shepard stars in this film. Uh, I must say I, I never got around to seeing this. It's okay. Yeah. It's a. I mean, I know I know of some people that are really fond of it, but for me, yeah. it's middle range. Mm-hmm. It's a Kim Basinger, right? Right. Yes. Correct. All takes yeah. place in a mobile home park, I think. Mm, okay. Well, we'll have to. Uh, again, it's another one I have uh, around, but just never did uh, have not seen it. Um. So the 1966 Japanese thriller Irizumi has been issued by Arrow Video. It's about a a woman who uh, is from a middle-class merchant family, and she's abducted and forced uh, into uh, geisha work and forcibly tattooed with the image of a fearsome spider on her body, and then she goes for revenge. So um, anyway, it's a cult film, Irizumi. um, From Japan, there's some... It's a new transfer, uh, some extras behind the scenes stuff uh, for fans of that one. So, anyway, uh, moving right along, we have It Happened at the World's Fair, starring Elvis. This was filmed with the backdrop of the 1962 Seattle World's Fair with its showpiece, uh, showpiece, sorry, Space Needle, the monorail, and more. And here we have the king of rock and roll playing the pilot for hire, Mike whose hope of starting his own flying business is grounded by the gambling of his co-pilot, who is played by Gary Lockwood of 2001 fame. Wow. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? The two two hitch to Seattle, Gary Lockwood and Elvis, where Mike finds romance and Danny finds easy marks and both find problems prior to a happy ending. Kurt Russell, interestingly enough, uh, who played Elvis in the 1979 biopic directed by John Carpenter, uh, plays a child who kicks him in the shins in this film. Oh, that was uh, the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Uh, among the ten songs in this film, yes, I see you heard that right. Ten songs are performed in this film. I'm Falling in Love Tonight, Relax, and the gold record, One Broken Heart for Sale. Directed by Norman Torog. This one uh, has just a theatrical trailer, but anyway, the Warner Archive has issued It Happened at the World's Fair on Blu-ray, so we have that one. Man, those Alexas are great because mm-hmm. I was sitting around with, with our mutual friend Rick and his children. Yeah. And for, uh, this was last Christmas or so ago. And now we, for some reason we're talking about Elvis and uh, talking about the Elvis song Blue Christmas. And and I started singing it. <laughs> and they were like, 
And I was like, ho, 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 And I was like, that's how he starts the song. And his daughter was like, no, he doesn't. He can't start the song like that. And so I was like, Alexa, play Blue Christmas by Elvis Presley. And all of a sudden it comes out. He's like, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's that is funny. That is memory. great. <clears throat> that is great, man. Yep. So we have Shout Select has issued the 2001 film Human Nature, which is uh, written by Charlie Kaufman and directed by Michelle Gondry, who would later go on to do uh, Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind with Charlie Kaufman. A woman is in love with a man in love with another woman, and all three have designs on a young man raised as an ape. Uh, yeah, well, that's Charlie Kaufman for you. Uh, you know, his films definitely are unique, if nothing else. So, anyway, Human Nature from 2001. Chain Lightning is a uh, one of, I think it was the final film to star uh, Humphrey Bogart uh, for Warner Brothers. Oh. And uh, it's considered actually one of the worst films of his, uh, of his career, actually. Oh. Uh, he's basically, uh, he's got a pilot, an experimental jet from Gnome over the North Pole to Washington, D.C., and landed in the Pentagon's lap. That's the plot of the film. And it's uh, Humphrey Bogart and Eleanor Parker, uh, like I said, uh, directed by Stuart Heisler. It's 1950, 1950, actually, and he would just die six years later. Um, But anyway, like I said, his final film for Warner Brothers, issued by Warner Archive. Uh, like I said, I've, I've, I've often heard that it's not terrible, but just not one of the high points of his time at Warner Brothers, which, uh, produced a lot of quite memorable films. Uh, so, anyway, um, let's see, we have the 1994 film What Happened Was, which is an interesting film. I know it got rave reviews from Siskel and Ebert when it came out. Oscilloscope has issued this. It's been hard to find. But it's an interesting film about co-workers in a uh, large Manhattan law firm who meet outside the office for a Friday night first date at the woman's apartment. And uh, it just basically takes you through that evening, and it moves through uh, small talk and then really dark, emotional, uh, revelatory uh, territory, I guess you could say. It's a a very interesting film uh, starring Tom Noonan and written – uh, by Tom Noonan and directed by Tom Noonan, the oh. actor who played the uh, villain in uh, RoboCop 2 and many other things he's been in. But anyway, uh, I if you can find it, uh, and Oscilloscope has put it out on Blu-ray, it's been, like I said, kind of hard to find it. I know Siskel and Ebert were big fans of this one uh, when it came out, and that's how I first heard about it. I had not heard about it until I remember watching their show, and they were talking about um, – uh, what happened was from 1994. So anyway, just wanted to to mention that. Another Criterion release is Visions of Eight, which is eight shorts from eight directors that uh, make up this documentary anthology. It's uh, basically a multifaceted meditation on the spirit of sporting achievement at the 1972 Olympic Games held in Munich. Now this was the same Olympics that you know where we had the um, the big uh, the the hostage crisis or the terrorists, you know, that did the kidnappings and all that, that later for also formed, uh, you know, the, the Spielberg film Munich and then, uh, the documentary too. uh, what five was the name of September? Five, five days in September. Anyway, this is actually spotlighting the actual events. Not so the, there's, uh, there's no kind of mention of it in that. No, it's just, they're basically spotlighting what actually happened at the Olympics, which is kind of an interesting, uh, alternative to all the dark stuff that went on. But anyway, Visions of Eight documentary from 1973 being issued by Criterion. 
And then another keynote release is uh, for those who think young uh, from 1964. And it's uh, it's about a, a popular after-school hangout for a group of surfing kids that's threatened with closure. And a group of teenagers will do anything to keep it open, even blackmail, starring James Darren. Yes, the uh, Pamela Tiffin, Paul Lind, Tina James Louise, Darren. and Bob Denver. James uh, Darren uh, is mentioned in my book. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> nice tie-in. Nice tie-in. Well, anyway, this is uh, directed by Leslie Martinson, who directed the uh, the feature film Batman from 1966, the one with Adam West. So, anyway, uh, for those who think young, being issued by uh, Kino and Camino from night 2015. Um, this one stars. Uh, Zoe Bell from Death Proof, the famous famed mm. stunt woman. Yeah, she's, she's a, a sweet girl. A yeah. woman. She's a woman. We, you <laughs> sweet her, girl. Right? Uh, God, I sound like I'm 80 years old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that kid. That kid. <laughs> yeah, she's in the Colombian jungle uh, following a group of missionaries as they bring meds to the poor, and then they uh, she happens to accidentally... Uh, Fall into a bunch of cocaine, uh, a cocaine deal, and uh, the, the drug dealers are on her trail, is what I'm getting at. So anyway, she has to become a, a an avenging angel, I guess you would say. Camino from 2015. This is a special edition from MBD Visual, and uh, uh, there are a couple of special features, behind the scenes stuff, um, soundtrack promo, trailers, anyway, all that stuff. So. Uh, wanted to mention that Feed the Gods from 2014. This um, is a horror film that's been issued by MVD Visual. Uh, it's about these uh, these two kids that uh, these two brothers return to the small mountain town to look for their parents, and then they they uh, discover that the place has a, a Bigfoot type creature that's running rampant. And uh, so anyway. Um, uh, like I said, not really. Uh, this is one that I wasn't really familiar with, but anyway, MVD Visual has issued Feed the Gods from 2014, and they've also issued Adam Resurrected, directed by Paul wow. Schrader. That's and a starring, tough movie to get through. Jeff Goldblum and Willem Dafoe, of course. I didn't. I have never seen Adam Resurrected. I missed it when it came out. I didn't. So uh, I know it's about the, you know, Willem Dafoe was the Nazi officer that tormented Jeff Goldblum, and he's dealing with all that and. Um, yeah, he spends uh, 15 years in an insane asylum with the Holocaust victims, and it's yeah, I've heard it's dark, dark territory for sure. Um, but yeah, Paul Schrader directed, and um, there's some extras here: audio commentary with Schrader, uh, behind-the-scenes featurette, deleted scenes, uh, film festival Q&A. So Adam Schrader has a new one coming out. Yes, he does. Yeah, I'm excited. It's good, good stuff. I'm glad he's still doing it. Me too. Yeah, I'm very, very pleased. It's just, you know, I interviewed Schrader and Goldblum for that, mm-hmm. and I couldn't get through the movie. I, I don't I don't know what it was. It was just it was a slog for me. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I think I'll probably at least try to investigate it before I, I give a, 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 a yay or nay on it. Um, so Blood for Dracula, the uh, 1974 film from uh, Andy Warhol's protege Paul Morrissey, um, 
1974, like I said, uh, starring Joe D'Alessandro, Udo Kier, and mm-hmm. Torrio De Sica. D'Alessandro is on, uh, I think it's him. I think he's on Facebook. I think I friended him. Interesting. Yeah, he's one of them that's still alive, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Because so, I was trying to get trying to get in touch with people that were still living that knew, um, that knew Warhol. I think uh, there's one of the female Warhol actresses still alive. I reached out to her. I don't remember if her name was Viva. I don't know if that was the one. But uh, yeah, it's it's hard. It's difficult, you know, to find people associated with Warhol for me like, for some reason. Well, they're, they're getting up in age. I mean, uh, physically, uh, you know, they. I, I could understand that. So yeah, but Blood for Dracula is uh, is has been issued uh, in 4K. So uh, yeah, I know that was a cult film for for um, for a lot of. You know, it had a cult following for sure. I think Criterion put that up out at one point. Mm. But um, anyway, um, so we'll move on to the last Tuesday in the month, which is the, the following Tuesday from when we're taping this. That would be June 29th. Pick up on South Street from 1953, and that stars Richard Widmark. And uh, he's uh, basically accidentally steals um, uh, secret confidential government U.S. information, and he's uh, uh, there's a uh, he feel he steals it from the pocketbook of a of a girl who was actually paid to uh, to get this uh, classified material, and then he gets in all kinds of hot water, and she's trying to get it back so she doesn't get find herself uh, killed. And anyway, this is Jean Peters playing the fe- female lead in the film. She was married to Howard Hughes up until five years before he died. Um, so anyway, uh, there's new... That must have been this- a joy. Oh, yeah. This was during the years when he became very reclusive, too. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, Sam Fuller actually directed this. And it's, uh, like I said, Criterion has released this. Um, it has new interview with critic Emma Jean Sarah Smith. Uh, an interview from 89 with Sam Fuller conducted by Richard Schickel, a 1982 French television program in which um, Fuller discusses the making of the film. And uh, Hollywood Radio Theater adaptation of the film from 54 starring Thelma Ritter and trailers for all a lot of Fuller's films. Um, and uh, there's an essay by uh, Luke Sante and filmmaker Martin Scorsese in the um, – mm-hmm. A booklet in there. So anyway, uh, pick up on South Street. I did get around to looking at this one. It's um, it's good. Uh, it's always always been considered to be one of the great film noirs. I wouldn't go that far. It has the typical uh, happy ending that it ties everything up in a nice little bow knot at the end of the film, which kind of so typical of those films made during that period. But there's some good stuff going on there, and uh, it's 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 good. It's good. Like I said, I don't know that it's the masterpiece everybody says it is, but 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 good. So um, anyway, Major Dundee, the uh, Sam Peckinpah film from 1965, is being issued by Arrow Video in a limited edition Blu-ray. I think this is the restored version, the longer version. Uh, of course, his the original version was that was released in theaters was very truncated. So uh, this is the full cut. Uh, with all kinds of extras on it. Willy Wonka on the Cho- Chocolate Factory from 71 has been issued uh, in 4K uh, by Warner Brothers proper. 
And this is, uh, I think it includes all the previous extras. Uh, but yeah, Willy Wonka and the Cho- Chocolate Factory. A couple more uh, Paramount titles we have here. In Harm's Way, starring John Wayne and the General's Daughter from 1999. In Harm's Way is from 1965. So, uh, anyway. General's Daughter. Yeah. The only, mo- only movie I've ever seen at the Chinese Theater. Really? Yep. That's that's what was playing, so that's what we were stuck with. Yeah. <laughs> also starring the recently deceased... Uh, God, oh God, as soon as I said that, I lost his name. Uh, Princess Dad in Purple Rain. Uh, oh, a, a Clarence Williams yes. the third. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen The General's Daughter since it came out, so I, I, I don't remember a whole lot about it. I, I, I remember liking it well enough, though, so yeah. Um, Battle Beyond the Stars, uh, the Roger Corman sci-fi film, his answer to Star Wars, basically, which also starred Richard Thomas from The Waltons. This has been – I think this was the first film James Cameron worked on. I think he was a special – did the special effects on it or something. Mm. Anyway, from 1980, Battle Beyond the Stars uh, has been issued in a uh, steel box. And we have a bunch of um, – a bunch of uh, Mae West titles being issued by Kino. We have I'm No Angel, She Done Him Wrong, uh, and My Little Chickadee, and Night After Night, Go West, Young Man, Bell of the 90s, Going to, going to Town Every Day is a Holiday. Um, yeah, all of those are being issued, all those Mae West titles. They really went overboard with the, with the, uh, the Mae West titles, and, and most of them are pretty good, I'll have to admit, so... Anyway, the 1977 TV film Night Terror with Valerie Harper. Uh, there's a great, by the way, there's yeah. a great documentary about Mae West that Bette Midler, I think it was like a PBS American Masters or something. Bette Midler narrates it. Oh. Uh, so if you're interested in learning more about Mae West, you should find that. You just mentioned a Mae West movie, right? I'm not saying yeah, it's completely yeah, yeah, sure. random. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah, my uh, the whole their whole slew of them, uh, including uh, my little chickadee is the one that I wound up getting on, uh, wound up getting a review copy of. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. So, uh, uh, Night Terror, as I was saying, uh, has been issued by Scorpion releasing, and that's actually uh, being distributed by Kino. Uh, Housewife is stalked by a psycho after she sees him murder a highway patrol officer. This stars Valerie Harper and uh, Richard Romanus. And so, uh, directed by the prolific E.W. Swackhammer, who directed a lot of <laughs> television films. Yeah. <laughs> so, could you imagine that? Is that a real last name? It is, I think. Wow. Could you imagine he, having that last name, especially as a kid? Oh, yeah, yeah. Damn. He directed the, uh, the pilot film for the Amazing Spider-Man television series back in the 70s. Mm. So, yeah, he, he did. So... Uh, another Paramount title, Flight of the Intruder from 1991. That's another one of theirs that they uh, have issued. And then we have uh, Madame Curie from 1943 from the Warner Archive. It's a biopic of, obviously, Madame Curie starring Greer Garson as Madame Curie and Walter Pidgeon. Um, you know, like I said, Warner Archive has issued that one. And we have a double feature of Toy Soldiers in December. From uh, Mill Creek. What is December? I'm not 
familiar with that, actually. I was just going to investigate. That's, uh, oh, what do we have here? December. Yep. Um, yeah, this is, uh, oh, Balthazar Getty, Jason London. This is 1991. Will Wheaton. So, yeah, I'm not, uh, that's a, it's a blind spot for me. Uh, it takes place uh, December seventh, nineteen forty-one. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, so it's a Pearl Harbor kind of. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, without yeah. without the budget, so it's yeah more, more personal recollection, kind of introspective. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, ten years before. Uh, I don't uh, I don't remember seeing that when it came out. Well, anyway, uh, we also have the Trail of the Lonesome Pine, starring Fred McMurray and Sylvia Sidney and Henry Fonda from nineteen thirty-six. Uh, that's a Kino release, and um, and we have uh, another Kino release that I will mention is uh, Todd Haynes' feature film debut, Poison from 1991, which was um, a pretty groundbreaking uh, indie film. I think it was one of the films that set off the indie movement of the early 90s, and it's uh, it's basically three different uh, stories that are. Um, uh, build toward a devastating climax. There's one that's like a mock TV documentary uh, that tells the story of a suburban patricide. And uh, then there's a one called Horror, which is filmed like a delirious 50s B-movie melodrama. And then uh, there's the last one is called Homo, which explores the obsessive sexual relationship between two prison inmates. Mm. Uh, a runaway hit when, which made national headlines when it was attacked by right-wing politicians. It's unsettling, unforgettable, and thoroughly entertaining and rated NC-17. Um, new introduction by Todd Haynes, Sundance Q&A with Todd Haynes and the producer uh, Christine uh, Vashon, yeah. James Seamus, the executive producer. The uh, 1999 audio commentary by Haynes, a booklet essay by Dennis Lim, and Last Address, a short film by Ira Sachs from 2002, 2010. Uh, this has been previously uh, – available but only in subpar editions as far as the quality of it so it's nice to get it out there in a with uh you know some um in a high quality edition poison by todd haynes like i said it was uh kind of one of the first movies i would say that and sex lies and videotape were two of the 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 movies that set the standard for the for the indie movement that, of, that became so prevalent of the 90s and sex lies was what was that 89 Nine. yeah two years yeah. before that yeah yeah, I think he's ta- Soderbergh has talked about returning to those characters. That would be interesting if he did. Yeah, I heard I heard him say that he actually wrote a uh, a sequel while he was in uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, that would be so interesting. He's actually written it, so I don't know if it'll ever get filmed. But he said he's he has written it. I heard that. Yeah. If they can get James Spader off that damn blacklist show. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, well, we have one more title here, and this will be it for this. Uh, for this Blu-ray edition, we have the uh, final film role of film legend Marlena Dietrich, uh, and it's the 1978 film Just a Gigolo, which also co-stars David Bowie. If you can imagine a film with David Marlena Bowie. Marlena Dietrich and Bowie? Yes. Uh, Bowie is a young Prussian gentleman arriving in the trenches in time to be caught in the final explosion of the Great War, World War One. After recuperating in a military hospital, he's mistaken for a French hero and returns to Berlin. 
His family home has been turned into a boarding house, and his father is paralyzed, and his mother is working in the Turkish baths. So, um... What year is this? 1978. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh... I think uh, Marlena Dietrich recruits him to be one of her regiment of gigolos, uh, because he's looking for a way to make make money. Anyway, this film has been uh, issued by uh, Shout Factory, and there's a making of just a gigolo with the writer and producer Joshua Sinclair and audio commentary with the director. I'm sorry, uh, with the um, uh, one of the stars of the film, Rory McLean, and uh, the original trailer and a printed booklet. Uh, the director is David Hemmings, the actor who mm. uh, Dave who died quite a while back, so no, he's not around for that. Sorry, but just a gigolo has been issued. Like I said, if you want to see David Bowie and Marlena Dietrich, uh, well, there you go. And it also <laughs> contains the David Lee Roth video, right, of his remake of that song? <laughs> That's a bonus. That's a bonus. <laughs> we kid. We kid. Um, one more. Bonneville from 2006, starring Jessica Lange and Kathy Bates and Joan Allen and Christine Baranski and Tom Skerritt. Uh, it's about uh, uh, Jessica Lange's husband, who's an adventurer, Joe, suddenly dies while they're in Borneo. She returns home to Idaho, where her husband's daughter from a previous marriage uh, is waiting to bring her father's body back to Santa Barbara, and she has him cremated, so uh, she makes a deal with her. If if she will bring her husband's ashes to Santa Barbara in time for the funeral service, she'll allow her to keep the house. And anyway, it's, uh, like I said, this was, uh, I, it was a comedy drama from 2006, and Kino Lorber has issued this Bonneville.